Oh my god, I'm chilling. What happened? Oh my god. Oh, I just can't. What? Hey everyone. Hey y'all. Episode this what is this? Episode 61 of oh, People Are the yeah. Worst. Yep. How the hell are y'all? Y'all doing good? And a custom shout out, custom birthday shout out to my newest friend. I met him last night, TK, big fan of the show. Happy birthday. His birthday is today. <gasps> Happy birthday from Wes. Happy birthday from me. Love and me. You. And we love you. We love you. You couldn't love you more. Oh my God. Happy birthday. Yeah. Rebecca um, told me all about you last night and how you were such a loyal listener. And I just got to say, thank you. I hope today's the best day of your life. I hope y'all had a wonderful vacation. Yeah. Enjoy. What number Good. birthday? Do you know? No. <laughs> Happy 21st. <laughs> yeah, you don't look like a day over 21. Love ya. I don't really have anything at the top. I could jump right in. I'm telling you about Clark Rockefeller. You've been talking this up. No, <laughs> no, because you've it, been talking it up ugh. for weeks. So better be good. Well, it really is. And it's batshit and all that. It's a whirlwind. It's but I'm scared. It's well known. You've never heard of it. Mm, I don't know. When I, I first know. started, I was like, I like steered clear of it because I'm like, I'm sure I know it. And then I really, I just like read an overview of it. And I was like, no, actually, there's a lot in this that, anyway, I'm just going to get right into it and tell you about it. Okay, well, who doesn't know about the Rockefellers? No kidding. Well, then get your ass to it. <laughs> I sure will. Sources, Vanity Fair mainly. And we all know how those articles go. They are very detailed. It's like 50 pages. If they, I want to know how long that takes them. Oh my God, so long. I need they to give do, the, actually I should give the writer credit. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're writing for Vanity Fair. They don't need our shouts, no. our accolades, but um, sure, it's nice. Why not? Mark Seal, Mark. Vanity Fair writer. You did job well done. Job well done. Bravo. You take your art very seriously and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. New York Times, Wikipedia, CBS.com, everything. Sandra Boss is from the Seattle area and had a twin sister. Hey. Named Hiya. Julia, who was apparently very competitive. They were very competitive growing up. So they're clearly fraternal, you know? <laughs> totally. <laughs> no, that's not true. Mm, well, Why? they were. Oh, they were. Yeah, they were. And they're I, barely, barely related at this point. Right. So when Julia announced... That she had a goal of going to Yale after graduation. Sandra said she was going to go to Stanford. A childhood friend said their competitiveness turned into sort of a game. In the early years, it was selling cookies. Then in school, it was scholarships. And in adulthood, it was clothes and shit. Like, for example, if one of them had an Hermes scarf, the other one had Christian Louboutin shoes, and they would try to figure out which one was better because they both cost about the same. This is exhausting i don't that care. is my next line it sounds oh, really? exhausting i like who cares i'm mentally drained at the thought of keeping up with this oh my god uh, i'm like oh my god just get on with it get on anyway with it. switch classes like the rest of us do something else with right. your twin be on the twin same shield. team right 
compete with other people, not each other. This is why y'all are fraternal. <laughs> it's like the biggest insult. <laughs> this is why you're fraternal. <laughs> this is what happens. It's as if it's just cutting them with a knife. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Anyway, they both get into their school of choice, and after graduating Stanford, Sandra got her master's at Harvard and was living in New York City when she met Clark Rockefeller at a Clue theme party in 1993. Like Clue, the game. Sure. I got it. And they were immediately attracted to each other. She thought he was charming, witty, worldly, and they clicked immediately. Even getting married a month into it. Oh, At no. a Quaker meeting house in Nantucket. I shouldn't have said, oh, no, I feel bad. But great. Do you? Do How about you? that? Yeah. Now, obviously, Rockefeller is a hell of a last name. He was a descendant of John D's brother. So he's on that side of the family tree. Mm-hmm. And for those international listeners, I don't know. I don't know who doesn't know the Rockefellers or not, but that is a huge name in the States. John D. Rockefeller founded the Standard Oil Company in 1870. He has been a little history wild- lesson. A little history lesson. He has been widely widely considered the wealthiest American of all time, being worth $1.4 billion when he died in 1937, which Jeez. is about $27 billion in today's money, which I think was oil alone. Because another article said, with all the stuff he did and wealth he built, he would be worth about $370 billion today. Damn. Mm-hmm. But they have seven generations of Rockefellers today. It's just a huge, huge family, huge name to have. And it would be a little shocking to meet a guy casually at a party and for him to drop this last name. Oh, my Especially God. Especially in New York City. Cha-ching! <laughs> <laughs> you hit it big. You hit it big, Sandy. But honestly, Clark did not have the wealth you would think a Rockefeller would have. His family used to be loaded, but there was like some family drama and it all got wiped out in a lawsuit, I think, with their father. Bye, Clark. <laughs> See ya. Take a hike. Party's over. Kick rocks. <laughs> Do you have any cousins in town? Do you have a brother you might want to? Oh, wait. No, that's... the brother would be yeah, broke too. Sorry. Yeah, that's true. We need your cousin. You have You're a... still in touch with your Uncle John D, right? <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> Y'all, I'm kidding. Calm down. <laughs> no one's up in arms, I'm sure. Clark's parents actually died in a car wreck when he was a little younger and is an only child. So he doesn't really have family. Oh, not feel bad. Fun fact, his mom was a child actress, Ann Carter, who's best known for her role in, 19, in the 1947 film, The Two Carols, starring Humphrey Bogart. Cool, huh? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Anyway, Sandra was the youngest woman ever to be a director at McKinsey. McKenzie's a global management consulting firm. She made $2 million a year, so she wasn't with Clark for the money. She actually kind of liked that he wasn't concerned with material wealth. Wait, she made $2 million a year as her salary in 1993? Yep. Whoa. Yeah, she was like the youngest director or partner for McKenzie. Is McKenzie still a thing? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. You're, you're in that world. I'm not. But, like... <laughs> what you knew that's, that. that's like being like is Deloitte still a company well Deloitte I know okay well McKenzie's practically that oh wow good job McKenzie <laughs> you've killed it 
McKinsey, BCG, and Deloitte are like the three main global consulting firms. I know two of the three. Okay. Well, Clark set up a nonprofit for international poverty relief. And because these nations were dirt poor, he said charging them a consulting fee would be unconscionable. So he literally made no money. But they were fine living off Sandra's salary of two mil. They're in the (laughs) early to mid 90s. It's like $10 million today. The economy's good. Yeah, they're killing it. They actually, I, I looked it up, it's like four point, over $4.2 million today. So they're fine. They lived in an apartment on 55th Street and 6th Avenue, which mainly showcased Clark's very extensive art collection. Because while he was not cash rich, he was definitely art rich. I read somewhere oh. that his collection was close to valued at like $1 billion or something. What? Yeah. And they lived with their Gordon Setter Yates. The waspiest dog name. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was. I thought that was like another famous person that you were like going to be shocked that I didn't know or something. I don't know. No, just a Gordon oh. Sutter Yates. Oh my god, that is so funny. So with her salary and Clark's social status, using the last name all over town, they were very comfortable. They were members of every private club in Manhattan, just living the social life dream, which oh is like. My- some people's nightmare and again it kind of sounds exhausting oh no it would be so exhausting but so interesting Uh to be a socialite for a month just like watch all the bullshit yeah for god be fine now i'm sure this will surprise no one but clark seems like a real schmuck and how could he not be but he would constantly name drop and do all the do the thing where like someone would bring up chicago and he'd say my great uncle founded university of chicago which John D. Rockefeller did, which is apparently common knowledge. I don't think I knew that. So relatable, though. Right. And so people are like, all right, we get it. I'm not. It's like saying, I went to college in Boston. You went to Harvard. Okay. We yeah. Thank you. <laughs> One friend. And recounts- like your grandfather or uncle or whatever founded a lot of things in this. Like, right. You probably say that 15 times a day. They mm-hmm. are like, you're, you're, you're going to have a connection to pretty much every industry in this country. So right. everyone's right. bored of that knowledge drop. Yeah. And one friend recounts a time at dinner where they could see Rockefeller Center. And they're like, oh, oh hey, Clark. And he pulled out his key. I was like, yep, here's the key, which that does not impress me. I bet a lot of people have a key to Rockefeller. No. Every, every host of the Today Show has a key to Rockefeller Center. <laughs> you know they do. I don't. That just doesn't oh, do God. it for me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's just so weird. I know. It's just obnoxious. Then, of course, the honeymoon, honeymoon stage faded. And as Sandra's role at McKinsey grew, she was working more and more, which left Clark all the time in the world to walk Yates in Central Park, schmooze these established fellow socialites. I vision like a lot of bourbons at lunch. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Easy. But he became very controlling, even over her money. He became no. emotional, uh, emotionally and sometimes physically abusive. But he eventually would woo her back, as they do. And during this period of good times, she did get pregnant. So now she's more determined than ever to make this marriage work. And during one of his walks with Yates, he got in an altercation with a woman in Central Park. And it was so bad that the cops came to their apartment to talk to him about it. And he was so pissed, he told Sandra that they were moving to New Hampshire. Well- <laughs> Well, wait a minute. What did he do to the woman in Central Park? There's no other backstory of that, just that they got in an altercation. Not sure. 
Yeah, so he's calling the shots. He says that they're moving to New Hampshire, specifically Cornish, New Hampshire, where, quote, pockets were deep, but money wasn't mentioned, according to Vanity Fair. Enter Clark, where money and status were mentioned all the damn time. Yeah. So Sandra pays $750,000 for a house in a very nice neighborhood, and there was a lavish welcome party for them, hosted by two prominent New England lawyers, and it was full of the elite, you know, judges, state senators, all the people Clark gets his rocks off to. <laughs> Such a good term. I love that. It's expression. really good. Mm-hmm. Real good. Okay. Clark's happy. <laughs> Clark's real happy. But mind you, Sandra still works in Manhattan. So she commutes four hours a day, every day, into the city just because Clark got in a spat. I still want to know about the spat. What are you doing? I don't know. On May 23rd, 2001, they welcomed Ray Starro Mills Rockefeller into the world, and Clark was in love with her. He nicknamed her Snooks, which is cute. I that is cute. Say. I like that. And I'm guessing it kind of, the name kind of stuck because a lot of articles call her that, or maybe it's just so they don't have to use her real name more than needed. So I'm following suit. She'll be referred to as Snooks from here on out. Snooks. And then Snooky came along and like ruined the whole thing. We got to go back to her real name. Forget it. That's right. When she was five years old and ready for kindergarten, she got into Southfield, a prestigious girls private school in Boston. It's actually the sister school of where JFK went. Fun fact. Oh, what's that commute? Well, off they went. They just moved there, leaving Cornish Uh, behind. Oh God. They're all right. All for kindergarten too. I'm like all for a child to learn ABCs. All right. It's your call. That stresses me out. I can't imagine. I know. Sandra bought a $2.7 million townhouse on Pinckney Street, which happens to be the same street as Senator John Kerry. And Clark continued to climb that social ladder as Sandra bankrolled it. God. Every day he would walk Snooks to the bus stop for school. Then he'd walk down the street to Starbucks to strike up a conversation with Beacon Hill attorneys, Harvard researchers, architects, uh, while they were on their way to work. And he would do shit like, Oh my God, it's so embarrassing. Looking back here, do shit, like come up out of breath and be like, oh, I just carried an arm wire up five flights of stairs. Just so people would know, like you have a five story brownstone. Which is so obnoxious. Oh my God. They're like, we get it. You're rich. We're all rich. So I don't know. Yeah, who are you kidding? Calm down. This is Boston. We don't care. Right. You didn't get movers? (laughs) How embarrassing. Do you need some What's money? wrong? You're all right. I'll front you the money for the movers. It's <laughs> true. Kafak. Uh, you did that yourself? Ew. Ooh. Gross. You're sweaty. Get out of here. <laughs> Rage. He also told people, oh my God, this really infuriates me. I he hate also this already. told people that Sandra made. 300 to 400,000 a year. So people would think that he's the breadwinner. Oh my God. <laughs> it just p- pisses me off. I've, I'm, in the, I'm in the office all night and you're a stay at home dad. You own it. Yeah. If I Go were the it. breadwinner and Barrett took credit for my salary, I would lose my damn mind. Well, and no one thinks you're the breadwinner in any sitch. You're just living off your Rockefeller name and trust fund. Right. It's just ridiculous and it would piss me off so bad if I found out my husband was not giving me credit where credit was due. For real. Snooks was killing it. 
She was a very bright kid. At the age of five, a neighbor remembers her asking what his name was, and he said, Elwood Headley. And Snooks said, hmm, let me see. E-L-L-W-O-O-D-H-E-A-D-L-E-Y. Oh, how old? Uh, Five years old. Oh, my God. (laughs) She also drew the periodic table and chalk on the sidewalk. So she's she's smart. Smart cookie. Wow. Maybe that private school was worth it. (laughs) I guess so. You do move states for that. While Clark and Snooks had a great relationship, relationship, the marriage wasn't doing so well. They very much disagreed on how to raise Snooks. He never wanted to discipline her. He never wanted to listen to criticism her teachers had. And it got to be too much on top of everything else because he was still controlling. He's still being a dick to Sandra. So Sandra went on a business trip and served him with divorce papers while she was gone. Ooh. All the fancy cars, the private club memberships, their entire lifestyle was taken in an instant. Although Clark was telling people she only married him for his money and now that she was bleeding him dry, quote, like, shut up. Oh, okay. And said that he was going to hire every high-powered attorney in Boston so Sandra wouldn't have access to any of them. But she did hire a good attorney, and the fight for Snook's custody began. And at the end of the day, she made the money. She was more stable. She won full custody. She did pay him $800,000 to essentially go away. She moved to London with Snooks and restricted him three eight-hour visits a year in the company of a social worker. Whoa. This does make me feel bad for him at first. Well, wait. It, it was like that bad. But he had a good relationship with Snooks. Really good she, relationship. He didn't trust it. Yeah. He was physically abusive. He, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. She just, to her. To her. Yeah. Not to, but yeah, yeah, I get it. So Clark's still living in Boston at this point, and he gets his first visit with Snooks, who is seven at this point, by the way. So her and Sandy fly from London, and Sandra stays at the Four Seasons while they get a father-daughter social worker day. Oh, wow. Clark got a driver and told him ahead of time that Snook, he and Snooks had a lunch date in Newport, Rhode Island with a senator's son, and that he might need help getting rid of a clingy friend. <laughs> Wait, okay. He said that to the driver? (laughs) He called him ahead of time. The clingy friend being the social worker. (laughs) I thought it was Snooks. I was like, what's his beef? (laughs) He just got there. No. She might be a little clingy because she's seven. (laughs) Sure. Oh, my God. The clingy friend is the social worker. The social worker is like, first of all, I'm not a friend and I'm not clingy. <laughs> well, no, but I'm he just sure that you he act tells right. the driver that ahead of time. And like the, dri- <laughs> the driver having no idea this is a court ordered chaperone assures Clark that no one will get into the car without his cons- consent. But about the driver secretly thinking like you're a grown man. Can't you tell a friend to fuck off for a day? Oh, my God. He just didn't want to tell him it was a social worker. He's just going to be like, oh, my annoying friend's tagging along. Right. Wink. Yes. Wink, oh wink. Oh, my God. So the I'm time so come. glad he wasn't talking about Snooks. Oh, <laughs> my God. You are the worst. Like, why'd you even want the day with me? Yeah. So the time comes. I think they took a cab from Clark's place to wherever this, the car was with the driver. And when they were getting out, Clark pushes the social worker out of the way, grabs Snooks, pushes her into the car so fast her head slams on the doorframe. And he tells the driver to go. And they peel <gasps> out of there, dragging the social worker who grabs the back door handle and was still holding on. Uh, is she okay? 
he was dragged a few blocks before he gave up and just let go. He's fine, though. Oh, well, you know, before when you you said she hit her head on the door. Snooks did. Oh. He threw her in the car so hard that she slammed her (gasps) head against the door. Oh, my God. And the social worker was dragged and then let go. Oh, God. Right. That's trouble. Then what? You felt bad for you knew this part of the story, and you felt bad for him for having to have supervised visits. He needs them. He's crazy. I was just trying to throw y'all off a little bit. Oh, okay. There you are. He then had a friend who also had no idea she was participating in a kidnapping drive them to Manhattan, and Clark said he would pay her five hundred dollars, but they needed to hurry to catch a boat to Long Island by eight p.m. Soon after they arrived in Manhattan, they got stuck in traffic near Grand Central Station. Clark swept up his daughter, threw an envelope full of cash at the front seat, and got out of the car without saying bye. Oh then God. that friend's cell phone rang. It was someone calling to ask if she had seen the Amber Alert for Snooks's abduction. Whoa. The sense of urgency became very real because often a parental kidnapping ends in a murder, murder-suicide. Oh so authorities God. were on it. Not to mention this was hitting the news because of his name. Yeah. During all of this, Sandra was informed that not only had her daughter been kidnapped by her ex, but Boston police entered Clark Rockefeller's name into the national database, and he doesn't exist. There is no Clark Rockefeller. I knew it. It's so verifiable. Not back. Well, hold on. We'll get there. They were married for 12 years. I know. I I knew the synopsis of this story. I did not know about this kidnapping. I didn't know any of it. I remember reading this. I get so much darker and worse. I just want people to not think this is just another Nick Rossi. Oh, yeah, I know. There is murder. No, I know. Oh, I don't know that. I just remember reading a synopsis forever ago and being like, what a dumb name to pick. It's just so, you can look up the Rockefeller family tree. I'm sure you could. I haven't, but. Not in the 90s, you couldn't. Oh, right, right. Yeah, there's no Wikipedia. Nowadays, it would be, you meet a Rockefeller at a party, you know that family tree or actually not even a Rockefeller. You Google anyone, you know, their family tree, you know <laughs> what their siblings are doing right now. You know where they live, you know, their fears, you know, everything. True. True. <laughs> their fears. Sure. So they were married for 12 years. How long have you and Payne been married? Nine. So imagine you found out Payne Cassinger is not his name. He's God. kidnapped your kids, whatever. It's just it's shocking. Insane. No, now, it's crazy. Mind you, they were married in a Quaker meeting house, which is more of a common law marriage. I'm just going to go ahead and address the questions going through people's heads. The ceremony is a self-uniting marriage license, which means no officiant. And technically, it's not even legally binding in some states, two of them being Massachusetts, where they got married, and New York. Okay, well, then this is great news for Sandra, Yeah, Yeah, I guess, but her daughter's still missing. Oh, well, yeah. And some of the other questions, I mean, marriage license aren't the only way you know someone's identity. He wasn't included on her tax returns. He wasn't on the mortgage. Nothing ever required him to use a social security number. So anything like, or anything like that. So that's how she did not know. I mean, it's so weird. I know. I mean, part of her probably like, like she likes the socialite aspect too. So probably having a Rockefeller last name while it's weird. He didn't have, doesn't have any money. She probably just kind of ignored some red flags. Yeah. Hindsight's 2020 as they say. So Mm -hmm. I'm not mad at Sandra. I get it girl. 
Yeah. And again, there's no internet back then. It would be so much easier to fake your identity in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. And it would be today, people. Sure, sure. The FBI re- quickly got involved contacting the real Rockefeller family, and they very quickly confirmed they do not have anyone in their family by the name of Clark. Oh, my God. They released a picture to the public and hoped someone could identify this man, and the leads were flooding in from all over the country. Some knew him as Chris Gerhardt, a University of Wisconsin film student, Chris Crow, a TV producer, and most notable, Christopher Chichester, a descendant of British royalty who lived in L.A. in the 80s. Oh, my God. Enough with this. I know. So they're sent on a wild goose chase trying to figure out who this guy actually was. And luckily, a friend in Boston called the FBI and gave them a golden nugget. Clark had come over to his place the night before the kidnapping to have some wine, and the friend hadn't washed the wine glass yet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just stuck it in the sink, and it was going to sit there for days. <laughs> Man, for the Oh, wind. my God. Clark, he was like, it's soaking. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a... Yes, yes. He's probably letting it soak for days. (laughs) Right. Authorities sent it to the FBI lab in Quantico, Virginia, and left his fingerprints, and his identity finally came back. Christian Carl Gerhardstreiter, a 47-year-old German immigrant who came to America in 1978 when he was 16 years old. And how he got here is so fucking weird. He was on a train in Germany when he met a family from America who told him that if he was ever in the United States, he should look them up. And he actually did it. Oh, God. They're like, we were just being friendly. It was a courtesy offer. No. Come on. God, zero social cues. I bet they're like, what the fuck are you doing? No, please. He wanted a fresh start in a new country. And he arrived unannounced on the family's doorstep in Meridian, Connecticut. Bags, luggage, everything. Oh, my God. Lock the doors and turn out the lights and hide. <laughs> Clark's here. Clark's here. Holy shit, he showed up. Go out the back door. Kids, don't make eye contact. Run. Save <laughs> yourselves. I mean, the things that made me laugh in this article, I'm like, my God, this is so obnoxious. Oh, my God. No, it gets dark. Uh, oh, and needless to say, Ann Carter, the childhood actress, was not his real mom. Why is she he wasn't choosing... even dead? <laughs> Why is he choosing all these famous people? I do not know. It's so much easier to fly under the radar. Actually, we'll get to why in this next paragraph because it's just so like you can't make this up. He he liked the temporary clout, even the, yeah. if it was a really dumb move. Yeah, and I guess everything was just unverifiable back then. Like Ann Carter's Wikipedia page, she died in two thousand fourteen. But my first thought is like, that is just so easy. But again, it was so much harder to verify shit like that. So after he overstayed that welcome, he put an ad in the newspaper for lodging and stayed with another family, the Savios, in a nearby town. This is where his first lies began. He said his name was Christopher Gerhardt's Ryder, like two names. Okay. His real name is Christian Gerhardt's Ryder, German. Okay. And said his father was an industrial an industrialist. During this time, he became obsessed with Gilligan's Island, specifically 
Thurston Howell the Third and his oh, lifestyle. God, this his is his lifestyle. Who? He his living on an island style, <laughs> right? But his old lifestyle. This right. is who he's based his persona off of. For those <laughs> unfamiliar, Gilligan's Island was a show in the sixties and seventies that's, I guess, considered a classic now. If you're in America, you likely know what it is. <laughs> but there's about so. six to eight people who crash their boat on some random island, and they have to. They're forced to cohabitate and live together. They all have different backgrounds and personalities. I wrote the, I wrote the OG real world. It really it is. is. It really is. I thought you were just going to start saying the theme song. I don't want that. So we should because the theme song just explains the entire backstory. It really does. No, I have the OG <laughs> real world. It is. Six people forced to live together. Oh, yeah, you're right. Their lives tape. See what happens when people start getting real. Stop being I, polite and start, start getting, getting real. real. The real world, Gilligan's Island. <laughs> Thurston Howell III and his wife were the rich ones. They're proper, they're old money. This is who Clark becomes obsessed with. He slept on the Savio's couch and expected his breakfast to be prepared and his clothes to be clean and folded every morning. Oh my God. Needless to say, they told him to take a hike and kicked him out. Oh, yeah. This launched his career into con artistry. He ended up marrying a girlfriend's sister for a green card and got divorced shortly thereafter. I do not know why the girlfriend herself wasn't willing to marry him. Smart, smart lady, though. For real. He went to a few places after that, L.A. in the 80s, being most notable where he is Christopher Chichester, British royalty, specifically the nephew of Lord Mountbatten, relocating to San Marino to pursue film production. And he enrolled in a couple of film classes, maybe one or two at USC. And he actually did do this. I'm not sure how with a fake name. I, I couldn't find anything on it, but he did actually take those classes. And he even had a, chest, a Chichester family crest made to show people. <laughs> and he so produced a local TV show called Inside, Inside San Marino. I know we say this a lot, but could you imagine if he just devoted this type of determination towards actual work all the time? Oh my God, that's so funny. My next story has that sentiment as well. He would, I mean, it would be a hell of a story. Alias is not necessary. You're a German immigrant who came to the right. States at age 16 with nothing, worked your way up. There's your story. There you go. There's your, your hook. Right. So Christopher Chichester vanishes one day, never to be seen or heard from again. And more than 20 years later, back to 2008, after Clark Rockefeller kidnapped his daughter, investigators came across a shocking video. It's an old episode of Unsolved Mysteries from 1995. Oh. The opening scene is host Robert Stack, and he says, May 1994, San Marino, California, an excavation of a swimming pool came to an abrupt halt when a workman came across a grim discovery. Three plastic bags containing dismembered sections of a human skeleton, later identified to be John Sohas, whose wife Linda was still missing. And then he goes on to say, though married for two years, John and Linda Sohas still lived with John's mother, Dee Dee Sohas, by all accounts an alcoholic. However, the most intriguing character would prove to be a mysterious young man who went by the name of Christopher Chichester. Wait, what? So mm -hmm. what's his connection to this? So here's the backstory. Oh, Clark, I'm just going to call him Clark. There's too much going on. Was oh. living rent free in a guest house behind the main house of Ruth Dee Dee Sohas, 
known to everyone as a reclusive alcoholic. This is a theme. Everyone, every article is, talks about her alcohol, alcoholism. It's kind of relevant, you'll see. Dee Dee's son and his wife, John and Linda Sohas, moved into the main house with Dee Dee. They're in their 20s, and according to friends, John was geeky, really into Star Trek and all that, all those things. And Linda was a vivacious redhead and an aspiring artist who worked at a science fiction bookstore. Cute. In 1985, John and Linda told friends they were going to New York City for an interview for a high-level government job, and they would be back in two weeks. But as it goes, two weeks came and went, and no one had spoken to them. They boarded their cats before going to New York, and after eight weeks, the kennel owner tracks down Linda's sister, Kathy, and was all, where the F is Linda to get these cats? Yeah. So Kathy calls Dee Dee Sohas, John's mom. The mom, okay. Who said they were that John and Linda were in Paris on a top secret mission for the government. And Kathy's <laughs> all, Dee Dee, what the hell are you talking about? They're in New York. So Kathy calls the police and reports them missing because Dee Dee's talking crazy. Yeah. The cops go to Dee Dee's house and she repeats the same thing. They're on a top secret mission. They're fine. And the cops are like, all right, lady, why do you think that? And Dee Dee tells them that a source told her that, but she refuses to tell them who the source is. They see that she has a guest house and they're like, well, maybe her tenant hasn't been hitting the sauce and will tell us something. Oh my God. So they knock on the door and Chris Ch Chichester slash Clark opens it completely ass naked, by the way. Just a weird uh, side note that everyone tends to mention okay. and tells them that he really doesn't know John and Linda well, not, he doesn't even really know Dee Dee that well. He tends to keep to himself and stay out of the main house. Three months later, Dee Dee Soas calls the cops back with a change of heart. She too wants to file a missing persons report on John and Linda and revealed that her source who said that they were in Paris was Chris Chichester but he just moved out without notice, didn't leave a forwarding address, and stole John and Linda's truck. Ooh. So now they're on the hunt for Chris Chichester, who we all know doesn't exist, and his truck. And this truck, which was a lot harder to find in the 80s than it would be today. But they did eventually find it. Three years later, in 1988, 3,000 miles away in Greenwich, Connecticut. <gasps> the owner said they bought the car from a guy named Chris Crow. So cops look into this guy and apparently he was hired by a company called SN Phelps in the late eighties to work on computers and computers were very new at this point. And apparently Clark was really good at them, good at figuring them out and stuff. But when that SN Phelps company ran his social security number, when he applied for the job, they found that not only was it fake, but the name that came back was David Berkowitz. The son what? of Sam, the serial son killer. Son of Sam. Yeah. He was a serial killer from the 70s who like wreaked havoc on New York City. New York. How Wait. the hell Clark knew David Berkowitz's social security number? I have no idea. But they fired him on the spot for being shysty. Uh, so, just a weird sadness. So, so weird. Right. So he bounced around a few more jobs as Chris Crow going unnoticed, but he was eventually never seen or heard from again. Dee Dee, unfortunately, died without knowing what happened to her son and daughter-in-law, and the house was sold to a couple who lived there for about six years before they decided they wanted to put in a pool in May of 1994. Oh. And that's when they found John's dismembered body. 
An autopsy showed that he died from blunt force trauma. And to this day, Linda has never been found. What? Mm-hmm. Holy shit. They did a luminol test in the guest house and found four huge blood spots where they think the murder happened, which shocks me. Years later, they found the body in 1994. Oh, they were killed oh in 1985. It's almost a decade later. Oh, my God. But I guess blood particles don't go away. And he's the only one that was lived there full time, like in the guest house. Yeah. Wow. They were more determined than ever to find this guy and asked several neighbors what they remember about him. And one in particular said he was a creep who asked out their 12-year-old daughter on a date, <gasps> knowing she was 12. Ooh, I know. The mom put a stop to it and told him to fuck off. Just a sad, sick, sad note of what type of guy we're dealing with here. Oh, my God. But eventually the case went cold and it kind of sat on a desk collecting dust until 2008 when Clark Rockefeller kidnapped his daughter and all this shit came out. Five God. days into the kidnapping, they do find him and Snooks in Baltimore unharmed and they arrest him. Oh, thank God. He was Poor sentenced. Snooks. No. And she loved her dad. Like, your dad's a murderer. Yeah who's been on the run, I mean, like, for 12 years. You didn't know your husband's name. I can't get over it. Yeah, it's crazy. He was sentenced to five years for parental kidnapping, during which time California authorities started building their case against him for the Sohas murder, which he maintains he has nothing. He had nothing to do with. In 2013, that trial began, and the defense said it was clearly Linda who killed John and fled, potentially still being alive today, but there's no proof of that. What there is proof of is the luminol in the guest house where no one lived except Christian Carl, Carl Gerhardt's writer, the stolen truck, and the series of con artistry. <laughs> That's a word, whatever. Sure. A friend of John and Linda's said that they were becoming suspicious of, quote, Chris Chichester's taking advantage of Dee Dee, who was an elderly woman with a crippling alcohol problem and a little money. So they thought that maybe he was stealing from her. So there's your motive. Yeah. And the jury found him guilty of first-degree murder of John, and he was sentenced to 27 to life with credit for time served. So his first parole hearing is set for November 2028. Oh. And until then, he's sitting in none other than San, San motherfucking Quentin. Quentin. Always. Where they are imprisoned is my, the very last thing I look up. So I'm not, it's just so weird that lately all my perps keep ending up there. He was well, in Ironwood State Prison in Riverside County, California, but he was transferred to San Quentin in 2016. You would think I'm going down the inmate list and just throwing a dart, and that's my next story, but I swear it's not. Sandra <laughs> I have is, one in San Quentin, too. I don't know. Sandra is still living in London and is now Senior Managing Director and Chief Operating Officer of BlackRock's Global Client Business. She's doing Whoa. fine. She's doing great. A good life for her and Snooks. Oh, good. But she... Clearly, I'm guessing, left the United States to flee all this craziness that she was tangled up in. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She, she got dragged in the mud in that trial. Yeah. Being like, you're a Harvard grad. You couldn't figure out that. I'm like, oh, oh. come on. I feel bad for her. But that's oh my, my story of Clark Rockefeller. That is so insane. Right? Sandra, you all right? Her twin sister's like, I would have seen it coming. <laughs> Uh-huh, totally. How exhausting. 
Oh my God, for real. That is so crazy. I'm glad that um, Snooks was okay. And I'm glad that Sandra's thriving in London. Get for out real. of here. That's the best. Oh, I know. I bet her house there is amazing. Oh my God. Do I need to know all the addresses. She's going it. But I would say is it to choose a Rockefeller, a name like Rockefeller, choose a famous parent, whatever. We've I already, mean, we've already hashed on that, so we don't have to again, but, but I don't get idiot. it with these people. It's like these a Nick people. Rossi, but a lot darker because there's actual murder involved. Ugh. And what did he do with Linda? Now, where is she? That is so weird. I don't know. Like, was he smart enough? I mean, someone else mentioned this or an article. I can't remember where I read it, but I'm like, did he actually think through to bury them in two separate places so it kind of looks like Linda did it? I don't know. I mean, and are those his only dismembering? I'm sorry. I just feel like you don't dismember someone and that be a one and done type of thing. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, I agree. Uh, gross. Thanks, y'all. Thanks. Y'all are the best. People are the worst. Bye. Bye.